0: This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of The Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Good morning. If the coffee doesn't wake you up, may the base of the Lord awaken your soul. Hey, I want to give a disclaimer right up front. There are different kinds of messages that uh, I often preach. Some are emotional and inspiring. Some are this, that, and the other. This is one where I am unapologetically going to absolutely nerd out on some things in the Bible. We're going to go so deep into context and other things in there, pull out some nuggets and see what it has for us today. And some of you will be like, you'll be wondering, what are we doing here? And that's okay. My goal by the end of this is that you leave knowing something new, but also the Spirit of God opens your heart. The eyes of your heart, so you leave a little bit different. With that said, I have three hours of content and 30 minutes. And so, uh, last week we did honor, we're in the Ten Commandments as you know by the video, and last week we did honor your parents, honor your mother and father. And if you're a parent, or if you have parents, and you missed that message, I would encourage you to go look at that commandment, honor your mother and father. And today, as you can see in your bulletin, it says we're going to look at the next commandment, do not murder which I think is an appropriate follow-up to a parent-child relationship, you know? <laughs> After that one, it's don't murder. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it, you know? So, so today's the sixth and seventh commandment, you know, um, do not murder and don't commit adultery, which are pretty easy, right? I mean, how much can I really preach uh, preach about that? Like, don't do those things. Don't go out there murdering people. Don't go committing adultery. Except there's one huge Problem, one big but, and that is Jesus took those 10 sacred commandments that we are in the middle of. You know what he did with them? He totally turned them on their head and he gave a new teaching. The application for the commandments we're going to head into is something that Jesus has a lot to say about. And, and it's something that he actually takes the meaning of them and he changes it. Now, What I just said is that Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, the meaning of them, and changes them. That doesn't surprise many people in here. And that tells me two things. One, we know the end of the story. He's the Son of God. Of course he can. But two, we don't know the beginning of the story as well as we should and the context. Because as we're going to see today why he did that, why he could do that, and I want you to suspend all your knowledge that you showed up here with and put yourself into today's text, to put yourself into the story of today where you were experiencing it real time. This Jesus rabbi is teaching. He's saying revolutionary things. Who is he? Where does he get the authority to say these things? Because he changes These meanings of the Ten Commandments, which were written thousands of years before him by God for Moses, for the people. They had been established and certified and followed for generations. And they're even on on courthouses and houses in America today. And Jesus takes those Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where we have been teaching, and he changes them. Now, that's a big deal. In fact, the very fact that he did that that he takes the command of thou shalt not murder and changes it, would have angered people of his time so greatly, upset them so much that they would have been angry enough to break that very commandment and murder him. So I want you to not take this lightly. What we're gonna look at today is something groundbreaking that Jesus does if we put ourselves in the context. Often if you're a part of the orchard, you'll hear me say, put yourself in the story, experience it, smell it, feel it, Be there emotionally and mentally and intellectually, because today I'm going to be flying through this. We're going to follow some threads through all different parts of the Bible and land somewhere. This is my promise. We will land. This will end, okay? We already had one service end. This one will end too, okay? Now, in your bulletin, it says that today's sermon is going to be on do not murder, and now it's also going to be on do not commit adultery, but through my study and through praying this through, we are not going to do those until next week. Because it's important to stop and do a deep dive today on the context that Jesus is about to say some things. Because remember, he changes this. And so we start from Exodus 20 where we've been preaching through. Where God gives these divine decrees, these commandments on stone tablets for the people to follow. And we're going to move to the New Testament to Matthew 5. And Jesus is preaching about these very Ten Commandments. And listen to this. Jesus says, You've heard that it is said to people long ago, Exodus 20, You shall not murder. But I tell you, He he keeps going. You've heard that it was said, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, He's taking these ancient commands, these divine decrees, And he's doing something new. Now, the crowd here would have been shocked. Jesus is giving new revelation, almost new commands we're going to see next week. He does this six times in that chapter as he opens up what it looks like and what it means there in the New Testament to follow the Ten Commandments the way Jesus opens them up for us. What he's doing here can seem religiously reckless in that culture. That culture is established, it is set, and he comes along and he changes the meaning of this 10 commandment. And today I wanna show you something. I wanna show you that Jesus isn't just coming and do something new, he is fulfilling something ancient. He is stepping into these underground prophecies and cultural things that we may have had no clue about today until we leave, that Jesus is doing something new, and old, and that it has something for you today. There are hints and there are clues all throughout what we're going to read. And so, again, there's those sermons where oh, they're all different types. In t- today's sermon, I want you to just buckle up and hang on. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus reframes the new revelation on the Ten Commandments, and that requires great audacity and great authority. I mean, if he is the Son of God, then he has the authority. If he's not the son of God, if he's not who he says he is, then the audacity that he is actually saying that in is completely crazy. By what authority does he give these new commands? Jesus speaks with some sort of audacity and authority that seems beyond the normal. And much later on, years later in his ministry, from when he reframes the Ten Commandments that we just read, years later in Matthew 21, near the end of his ministry, it's close to the cross, the religious leaders come to him and they are angry about this very thing. Matthew 21, verse 23. Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching. And the leading priests and the elders, who know the word, they come to him and they demand... By what authority do you are you doing all these things? Who gave you this authority? In the language here, they're saying, "Who are you authoring? Who are you producing? By what authority are you authoring and producing these things, these miracles, and you're reframing ancient law from God? Who gave you the authority? And that's the question today. Who gave you Jesus the authority to do these things? Either he is divinely inspired or he is dysfunctionally insane. There is no in-between when you begin saying, it has been said in the Ten Commandments, but I say, that is some rare ground to step out on. Who gave you the authority to say these things? That's what the religious leaders go to him and ask. Now, listen to his answer. This is the start of the thread that we're going, you know like when you have a thread somewhere and you begin to pull it? And it's leading you somewhere, and usually it's to ruining your clothing. That's not this thread. This thread, we're gonna start pulling it and following it. It's gonna take us somewhere, okay? Jesus' answer to who gives you the authority is this I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question Do you start to see the drama? Imagine you're there in the temple, and you're, you're hearing these things. You're hearing Jesus teach, and you're amazed at his teachings, but then the priests, who you all respect, these people who run the temple, they're saying, who gave you authority to teach this way? And he goes, oh, I'll tell you, if you can answer me one question. Riddle me this. So what he's about to ask them has everything to do with this question of authority and where and who he gets it from. And you're not going to believe this, because it seems from left field, He asked the question, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? What? Really, right? Huh? That's the question? We're talking about authority, and you go, I'll tell you if you tell me this. Something about a guy named John and a baptism? When they ask him, who gave you authority, his response is, well, what about John the Baptist and his baptism? What about that authority? John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist by this time is already dead. He has been beheaded by the leaders. What does John the Baptist have to do with Jesus' authority in giving new revelation on things like the Ten Commandments? Why does he bring that up in the middle of this discussion of who gave you the authority? to undo or to reframe or to give revelation on thousands of years of tradition and divine decrees from God himself. That's the start of our thread. Let's follow this. Jesus mentioned the authority of John the Baptist and the baptism. So let's, let's, let's follow that. John the Baptist, who was he? Well, first of all, he was Jesus' cousin. He was older than Jesus by six months. He was prophesied to prepare the way for the Messiah. Luke 1.15 tells us that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and that he would bring many people back to God. John the Baptist is prophesied. He is powerful. God's presence and spirit are with him from birth. He grows up into a mighty teacher. And a mighty leader. John the Baptist is not a priest. He's not in the temple. He was a rabbi. He was a traveling teacher. He has what's called Talmudin. Those are disciples who follow him, who want to be like him. Jesus also had these. Now, John the Baptist was a rabbi, and he spoke uniquely with great authority. He gave new teachings, not just rehashing old teachings. Jesus actually said in Matthew eleven eleven 11 about John the Baptist, I tell you the truth of all who have ever, ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So, so that's kind of who he was. Jesus brings him into this equation of who gave you this authority? Is it John the Baptist? Is that what he's saying here? What's he saying? But Jesus' answer was also connected to the baptism that John the Baptist was giving. So we leave that discussion of who John the Baptist was and we find John the Baptist, you'll never guess this, baptizing people. I mean, what are the odds that's your name and that's what you do? So that's, that's where we find him. He's not baptizing people, he's not baptizing into salvation. He's baptizing them into salvation. Repentance. Jesus had not died and rose again yet. He's not baptizing them into Jesus. He's baptizing them, he's calling them back to God, preparing them for the Messiah who is Jesus. And people would show up in droves, shoulder to shoulder, standing, sitting, watching. Which is why in Luke 20, when Jesus references John the Baptist, the religious leaders, you'll see they can't answer the questions because John the Baptist has an authority and a place in this culture that was obvious and unique. He was calling throngs of people back to God, to repentance, preparing the way. But why does Jesus even bring up John the Baptist when his authority is questioned? And tell me, what does this have to do with Exodus 20 and our Ten Commandments? These are the things you're wondering. These are the things we're going to follow, okay? Luke 3, early in Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist is preaching and baptizing as he does. But on this day, as he's baptizing, something very unique is about to happen. Because Jesus is in the crowd and Jesus is watching. Now, now put yourself there. Put yourself there in the in the wilderness east of Jerusalem. There's the, the Jordan River. John the Baptist might be in the middle of it, preaching from it. It's arid throngs of people. You might be shoulder to shoulder or sitting down, watching, listening. And there in the water is John the Baptist and passionately, passionately preaching repentance, calling you and the people around you to repent and come back to God to change for the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is there in the crowd watching. Jesus sees as John the Baptist is preaching. Jesus sees as people's hearts are being convicted and moved. He sees the tears begin to form in their eyes. Jesus can see as the Spirit of God is is calling and drawing people to this repentance, to this baptism. And then John the Baptist, as he opens it, he says, Come to be baptized, and the people begin to come forward. Coming into the water to be baptized by, by John the Baptist and this unique authority that he has. And John the Baptist, I'm guessing he would stay there and baptize until the line was empty or until the, the night came, I don't know, but he would stay there and baptize. On this day though, imagine John the Baptist in the water and he would lay hands on people and there's, there's these blessings that he would pray over them. He's there, he's, he's just lowered somebody down in. He's prayed that God would bless them and as he brings them back up and he releases them, he turns to the next person in line And it's Jesus. And that moment must have been filled with spiritual electricity. It's his cousin. Jesus of Nazareth. Their mother's pregnancies are both recorded in the Bible, in Scripture, and both of these boys have prophetic beginnings and divine prophecies. John the Baptist from birth, full of the Holy Spirit, I bet he had been raised hearing the stories of Aunt Mary and her child and the angels and what they said and of his cousin, Jesus. Not just his cousin, not just a good man, but something far more something far greater. And John looks up, and he looks in the eyes of Jesus, and their eyes lock for that moment. Now, earlier, when John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, and Jesus was, Jesus was in Mary's womb, it says that um, John the Baptist's mother, she felt her son, John the Baptist, jump in her womb when Jesus came in the room, like womb to womb, right? But now they're face to face, and I can imagine the leaping in John's chest as his spirit leapt, looking into Jesus' eyes as Jesus is waist deep in the water, walking toward him, ready for his baptism. This is the moment that the priests, when they approach Jesus about his authority, this is a moment, this is the moment Jesus brings up. They say, who who gave you this authority? And he brings up this. Why? Jesus is here to be baptized. John the Baptist tries to stop it. He says, I I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus says, it must be done. We must carry out all that God requires of us. And so John agreed to baptize. Now, look what happens next. This is recorded in multiple sources. Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, so John would have gave a blessing, he would have baptized, and it says, when he went up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting On him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. What a moment of Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit! One of the three times the voice of God in the New Testament speaks baptism, transfiguration, and crucifixion. What a moment this must have been! And the words are so beautiful. Listen to this affirmation this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You are mine and I love you and you bring me great joy. And that's it. That's the account of the baptism that Jesus brings up as his question of you want to know my authority? Let's talk about this first. What do you have to say about John's authority and his baptism? How does this have anything to do with Exodus and the 10 commandments? And what does it have to do with Jesus bringing new revelation? To ancient commands. I'm glad you asked because we're following this thread from Exodus to Jesus to John the Baptist and baptism, but we still don't have the answer, but we're following it. The religious priests who questioned Jesus because he had the audacity and the authority to speak new revelation on established ancient law. Jesus had command of the Bible, he could do these things, and the priests were shocked by it and angered by it. But what he was speaking was rare. But in his culture, it wasn't unheard of completely for someone to speak with great authority. In fact, did you know the ancient Hebrews have a word for this type of authority that comes from God that a teacher would speak with? Did you know that in this culture, and in the cultures the thousand years previous, there was a concept that was present when Jesus preached that had its roots all the way back in Exodus 20, where we are. There's an ancient word for divine authority that Jesus is showing that he has. And did you know that the ancient Hebrews had a way of transferring this authority from one chosen teacher, or rabbi, to another? An authority from God that allows someone to preach and teach and lead with new revelation A word and a concept that Jesus would have known. And I believe the priests knew. In fact, when they say, who gave you this authority? I believe they're referring to this ancient Hebrew word and concept. It comes from the life and time of Moses. And the word is shmicha. And I want you to say that, shmicha. Yeah, I want you to really get the K in there, okay? Shmicha, go. You know, it takes some work. It's back here. Shmicha. Now, shmicha is an authority given from God to a leader. Shmicha is the act of how that godly authority would be given from one rabbi. He would transfer it to another. Shmicha is the divine authority that was given to Moses in God's presence, likely there in Exodus 20, on the mountaintop at Sinai, where we have been discussing. Moses comes down, and what does he do? He speaks with shmiha. He speaks with authority. He speaks with new revelation. What Moses begins to give them is brand new revelation. He's not just giving them all the rehashing stuff. He's giving them new things with new authority. shmiha. Now, watch what happens from there. From Exodus, we go to Numbers. And in Numbers... Um, we see that God is commanding Moses to do something. The Lord told Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and what? Lay your hands on him and transfer some of your authority to him. Shmiha, this authority transferred at this moment of laying out of hands and a blessing from Moses to Joshua. And now we go to Deuteronomy 34.9. Moses has died. And it says, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. The Shmiha. So the Israelites listened to him. Moses also did this with 70 elders and they were filled with God's authority and anointing at that moment. He laid hands and blessed upon him. It's an impartation. It's an anointing. It's a favor. It's an authority. It's Shmiha. It's written about thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. And it was an ongoing Hebrew tradition. Sages who studied this believed that it was passed along from one to the next. But they, here's what they said, and this is recorded. They said, for somebody to get shmicha, two two separate rabbis who already have it must individually give it. And you give it in two ways that we saw in Moses' life. You lay on of hands, and you verbally bless and affirm. That is how shmiha is given. So if a young, let's, let's just say there's a rabbi who had shmiha, and he's watching one of his disciples, and this disciple of his has unusual passion and unusual gifting and a spirit that, is, that seems to be, to be coming along, and he recognizing something unique. And as that disciple grows up in age and maturity and passion and knowledge of God's word and God's nature... At some point he may choose to say I want to pray shmiha over you and what would he do he would lay on of hands and he would affirm and bless just as Moses did to Joshua according to God's command now that young rabbi who just received shmiha that was an amazing moment in his life but it's not complete and it might be another 30 years until he gets another rabbi to pray this over him. In fact, there's accounts of, of many rabbis who would never get another one to pray over them. They, they went around with half of it prayed because in their tradition, it required two separate rabbis of shmiha, authority, to bestow it and transfer it. So they must speak it, and they must lay hands upon it. And this began to be a tradition Moses was given shmiha by God. He passed it on to Joshua, passed it on to seventy elders, and from there they have it passing down and so on and so on. And what begins to happen is you begin to see a spiritual family tree begin to form as rabbis are as the shmiha is being passed down from generation to generation to generation. In fact, the Hebrew rabbis they began to trace the shmiha authority through the ages in a spiritual genealogy from their time all the way back to Moses. And it's like those of you in martial arts, you can trace your black belt back to the origins of it and who gave it to who and who gave it. To, that's, it's, it's spiritual black belts given to these rabbis down to the ages. This authority, this impartation that, that goes back to Moses on Sinai, given Shmiha to step forward in authority and give new revelation. And this went on from Moses to the time of Jesus. And the Shmiha, Shmiha, if you had this authority, you would teach differently, and you were respected differently in the culture. You see, Shmiha rabbis, they had this authority and anointing that was respected, and they wouldn't have to footnote everything they said. They didn't just give interpretation of law, they could give revelation of what they thought it meant. Truly, they had a different authority in their culture. It's amazing to me to see the legacy of this Shmiha that it goes all the way back to Moses. And I'm really disappointed and jealous and saddened that we cannot take place, uh, we cannot take, partake in that spiritual genealogy of the Shmiha of Moses. Do you know why? Because after the third Jewish revolt, the Roman state made the ceremony of Shmiha a capital offense for a rabbi who's giving it and any that would receive it. No longer is this allowed, that there be an authority in the Roman government that is somehow goes back to God himself. No, 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 no. Our ruler will be the final authority on all things. It is a capital punishment, but it didn't stop it. It just went underground, okay? But through the conquering and the great trials of the Hebrew nation, somewhere around 400 AD, the Shmiha genealogy that goes back to Moses whoosh, lost, gone. There have been extensive efforts, and, I, and I, I've been so trying to revive this. They've been, I've been reading about they're trying to find and revive or find evidence of this genealogy, but how do you find a genealogy that is so far gone and so far old, and once it's lost, it's lost. I mean, you need two rabbis to even, of Shmiha, to kickstart it again, and who knows who has it? So that was was after the the death of Jesus. It's sad to me that the the Shmiha was lost to us. It's lost to us. Except for one thing. And this is where the Hebrew sages and myself part ways. I don't think we've lost it. You see, there's a specific rabbi mentioned in the Bible and in history who many sages believe The Shmiha rested upon him. It's not Jesus, spoiler alert. This man's father was actually a priest in the temple. This boy was prophesied. He was raised in the temple by a priest. He grew up in wisdom. He grew up with unusual power. He actually became a rabbi. He had disciples who followed him. And we have records of his teachings and how effective and impassioned and how he spoke with authority and how, how people were moved and how he gave revelation like a like a rabbi of Shmiha would. He was respected, he was sought out by the people. He was empowered by the Spirit, some would say from birth. Who was this rabbi? Who I believe the Shmiha rested? John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this authority. I believe he was in the spiritual genealogy of Moses and he could pass Shmiha on through verbal affirmation and a laying on of hands. He speaks as one who is with it. He acts as one who has it. And so I want to pick up where we had left off previously. Let's go back, transport ourselves back to the Jordan River. He's down there teaching, right? He's in the river, halfway up, teaching these things. And then one day, in his baptism line, he looks up and there's Jesus. That moment, let's go back to that moment. John the Baptist Had affirmed Jesus time and time again. He said things like, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said that about Jesus. He said, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. His affirmations are written in the book. But in that moment, we see that he has great humility when it comes to Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus approaches, and their eyes meet. And what does John do? Now that you know the context of what we've just been through as we followed this thread, what does John do? Well, To baptize somebody, he lays his hands upon him. He gives an affirmation of his authority. And he blesses and baptizes. And John the Baptist, full of humility, passes the genealogy of Shmiha from the line of Moses to Jesus. Do you see why later on, when priests come to Jesus and say, who gave you this authority? He answers it according to their traditions, in their culture. We go, why is he bringing up John in a baptism? They know why, and they know what they're talking about. Jesus gave this strange answer. Before, it didn't make sense, but I hope you're beginning to see as we're following this thread that it's starting to make sense. So what about Jesus? John the Baptist laid his hands on him, blessed him. Does Jesus now have shmiha? Does Jesus now have the full weight of the genealogy of Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament resting upon him? Well, John the Baptist is only one rabbi with shmihah to lay his hands on Jesus. How many are needed? Do you remember? Two. A little caveat. Jesus is the son of God. Spoiler alert. He doesn't need any Shmi'ah. He doesn't need anybody to bless him. He doesn't need anything. But I hope you are beginning to see time and time again, Jesus steps into the culture of humanity and is fulfilling prophecies both both known and underground, things that we just know hints of and things that they were fully aware of. Whose authority? What about John the Baptist? But Jesus in their culture has been blessed by one Shmiha rabbi and he's still missing the second. And sadly, I want to say this, there is no record anywhere I could find of a second rabbi in the Bible who lays his hands on Jesus and affirms him with shmiha, No other human comes along and gives the necessary second blessing and laying on of hands to complete the shmiha of Jesus. But it's there if you look closely. So we go back to the Jordan River. We go back to that moment of baptism. And what happens when Jesus comes out of the water? Now with new eyes and new ears, let's read the same thing again. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the spirit of God descend upon him like a dove and settle on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God himself, the author of life, the creator, Yahweh, king of kings, parts the heavens and speaks his affirmation upon Jesus, affirming his authority as the son of God. You are my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased, in whom my favor rests. But one more thing: God doesn't lay hands on him; he doesn't touch Jesus. Luke clarifies this. Luke, the doctor, who wants to let us know what's happening here in Luke three twenty-two. There's these little things that people are adding, and now you begin to see why. Luke three twenty-two and the Holy Spirit in bodily form, physical form, descended on him like a dove. Physical form for a touch that was physical, a verbal affirmation from heaven, and a physical anointing from the spirit. And Jesus became the first rabbi ever to hold the shmiha from both the lineage of Moses that goes back to Exodus 20 and the divinity, divine shmiha of God himself in that moment. Again, he's the son of God. He didn't need any of those things. God didn't need to speak out loud for Jesus to hear it. He did it for others to hear it. He says this later on. What they're showing us here is in the context that they live. Jesus is fully fulfilling everything necessary. Whose authority do you come in? I come in the full shmiha of Moses and Yahweh. When Jesus answers with something that seems so out of place, I hope we're now beginning to see that it might be placed there for a very good reason. Jesus is a rabbi of undeniable and divine Shmiha, and he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And now we can see clearly what is happening when we move forward to discover, uh, in our discovery of the Ten Commandments, which we'll get into again next week. Because Jesus is gonna say things only a Shmiha rabbi would say, one with authority, one with audacity, one with new revelation. He says, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, but I tell you. Oh, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you. And we will finish both of those sentences next week as we look at those commandments. Now, as a priest or a teacher of the law of Jesus' time, if you didn't have Shmiha, you would merely interpret, you've heard it said, you would interpret that. But a rabbi of Shmiha would say, but I say. Interpretation is you've heard it said. Revelation is, but I say. And Jesus is speaking in Revelation, new understanding. Now, now that you know this, you can begin to see some context clues as you read God's word, as you read through the life of Jesus. Like in Matthew, early on in Jesus' ministry, you read things like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Their teachers of the law had a sort of authority. It's not authority they're talking about in our terms. It is shmiha. He taught as one who had authority, not merely their teachers of the law. He taught like a rabbi with shmiha. His his teachings, his interpretations, his miracles, his his revelations, all these things are a declaration of the authority of God that was on him and in him. So what does this have to do with us today? Great teaching. I feel like I've been in class, but what does this have to do with you and me right now? When it comes to you, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God who who died on the cross and who rose again, you are a son of God or a daughter of the Most High God. And God declares over you, you are my daughter, I love you, and I am well pleased. You are my son, I love you, and with you I'm well pleased. And based on the sacrifice and work of Jesus, you are also affirmed by his Holy Spirit. He has laid his Holy Spirit upon those and in those who believe in Jesus. Ephesians 1:13. When you believe in Jesus, he identifies you as his own by giving you his holy spirit. Romans 8:11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit it says lives in you. We are now authorized, we are now commissioned to represent God to a world and reveal the truth. Of Jesus Christ with greater authority than you would ever imagine. When I tell you, you have great authority because of what God has done, you go, I've never been to seminary. I don't know how to preach. I don't know. And you, if you only knew my. We all have our butts and ands and whats and all the things we say disqualify us. But there is one giant qualifier, and it's the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus which declares you fully qualified and commissioned and equipped and empowered to go forth in the authority with full shmiha of God to step out in faith, to speak out boldly, to pray for those that are sick and hurting, to to love those who are needy, to, to step in with courage and compassion as someone on this planet who carries within them the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And while the Old Testament the, those the rabbis they could trace their spiritual genealogy to Moses. We trace ours to Jesus. Our shmiha, our family lineage goes to our Lord and Savior in an empty tomb and a cross. He passed His Spirit to any who would follow Him in faith as Savior. We have our Savior's shmiha, His authority, His favor upon us through His Spirit of God. And listen to his final words. Jesus is leaving the earth and he tells this to the disciples and he tells this to you as well. Listen, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same power that, what? Rose Jesus from the dead. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. At work, at home, as you recreate, in your community, wherever you go. Everywhere. And in the, in the Bible, this shmiha is accompanied from that moment on with great works of renewed passion, of life transformation, changes in fathers and mothers and children. Orchard, it's time for us to step up in our faith. It's time for us to step out at risk. It's time for us to speak forth in love. We carry the shmiha, the authority of Jesus' Holy Spirit within us. And we are to go forth and witness to those around us. So here's your practical application for today from this wild thread we followed. The first one is this. God's word is beautiful. your application, if you're not reading God's word, go to John 1 and start reading John this month and read the words of Jesus. But don't just read over it. Put yourself in it and and get the nature of Jesus. We're supposed to be like him. We're his disciples. Read John and see what he says. Look at what he does. Find the the strange things he talks about and wonder why and and go look. Read God's word and, and get in it, but get his nature in you. And the second is this. You are empowered to go forth and speak. So go forth and step out. Who this week can you talk to about your faith? All of this stuff we've just talked about, this authority, this audacity, the spiritual audacity, we are defined by so often indifference and apathy. Orchard, let us step out. Who will you talk to this week about your faith? Who will you invite? Because you want them to come to faith. And next week, next week we'll get into these commandments. And when you hear Jesus said, you've, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, it's going to be applicable to your life today. Orchard, it's time to rise up in the authority God has given us. It is time to stand up as worshipers of a God who has moved on our behalf and a Savior who went through all, did all the work for us. And so he's going to worship. Will you stand with me? And I want us to worship today not in apathy or indifference or timidity. May we worship with audacity to a God who has done so much for us. Father, I pray your authority, your spirit would rise up within us. Father, I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts to come closer to you, to leave our sin to come forward. Father, I pray that your spirit would give us the courage to step out in faith, to speak out in faith, and to be audacious followers of Jesus. Amen. If you're in this place and you want prayer in one of these areas or even prayer to receive Jesus and his salvation, I'm going to have some of my elders and friends back there in that corner. We would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let us worship the God who has done these great things for us.